If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 145 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the third day of July, another new month in the year 2022. Happy 4th of July weekend, guys. It is July, mother of pearl. (laughs) And with the month of July being here, you know that the first week of July also usually symbolizes the give or take halfway point of the baseball regular season, the Major League Baseball regular season. And we're just about there, guys. 162-game season, and the next game on Tuesday in Pittsburgh is game number 81. That's exactly the halfway point. The final game they played in Cleveland today was the 80th, so we're basically halfway there, my good people. First half of the season in the rearview mirror. I say it all the time. All the time. Probably once a week. (laughs) Baseball may have... By far, the longest season of any sport, but that does not stop it ever from going by just as quickly as any other sport's regular season. Especially when you're having a historic season on the level of what the Yanks are right now, because we all know how much time loves to fly with the more fun that you have, and I don't think... You could have more fun if you're any other fan of any other team other than the Yankees right now. I don't think you could have more fun. Well, it's factual. You can't because the Yankees are still the best team in baseball as we speak here in July at the halfway point of the 2022 season. (laughs) Today's game wasn't fun. I'm coming to you just after it ended, so it's in the late 4 o'clock hour right now. Here on Sunday, I'll have this episode out to you way later tonight as usual. I've been getting to the habit of doing... My episodes on Sundays each week, waiting to do it until after the game is over. I just feel like it's better. Just the whole week is officially done with. We could look ahead to the next week and officially recap everything and not have to worry about anything happening in the current game on the current day on that Sunday to change whatever I want to talk about in that episode and change the sort of a mood. I don't know. Have to react to it during the recording. I just think it's better to just do the episode after the game's ended, which is what I've gotten into the habit of doing lately. So... The game today did already happen, the final game of the three-game set against the Guardians. Yesterday was a lot of fun with the doubleheader. The Yankees won big in both of the games, especially game one, definitely. Not even a competition, which game they won bigger in, definitely the first one. But today's game was really lousy. And again, that's what I mean by waiting to do the episode until after the game happens, because if I did today's episode before today's game, not that I'm letting today's game ruined the feel of the episode. I'm still going to be mostly positive today. 
because the Yankees are still where they are. They still won the series, so on and so forth. There's nothing to be overwhelmingly negative about, unless you're just a negative Nancy. But I did not enjoy today's game. (laughs) And the episode would have been a little different had it started before today's game, but we're doing it after. So... And of course, since the game just ended at the time of recording, the mood from it is still pretty fresh. But yeah, today's game was really lousy. The Yankees only got one hit the whole day. One hit. And it was was a rough one. Tristan McKenzie just, he's coming off of a couple of really rough starts, and he came into today's game against the Yankees, and he just shut them down. He really did. He really shut them down. And Montgomery had himself a good start. He only gave up one run on a solo shot to Franmil Reyes, who was responsible for both Guardians' runs today. The Yankees did lose 2 to nothing, so you could say it was Franmil Reyes 2, Yankees nothing today for the final score, and that would be valid. And yeah, the Yankee offense being as dead as it was, uh, the only hit that happened today was off the bat of the guy who I just have little to no patience for when it at least comes to him at the plate because he's still playing some decent defense. But... The one hit actually came off the bat of Josh Donaldson, who I am just, I'm kind of over now, honestly, to be honest with you. I even tweeted earlier in the day, and not to specifically focus on Donaldson, because there there are a couple of others who deserve my attention, who have gotten my attention, don't get me wrong. (laughs) They have gotten my attention very much so as they deserve to. And it is in a negative light. Others I'm talking about, of course, Joey Gallo. And obviously, Aaron Hicks falls under that category too, even though I just made a vow a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even just a week ago, not to criticize him for at least a month because of his home run against the Astros, and I'm sticking to my word. But my point is, those who have deserved negative criticism, even amongst how great the Yankees are doing, have gotten it from me. And I'm sorry, Donaldson deserves it too. I've been getting on him a bit for a couple of weeks now, and I'm just going to continue to this week because I'm getting a little tired of how underwhelming he is at the plate. And yet, the Yankees did bring him in partially for his glove as well, but let's be honest. The Yankees were hoping that they could sort of unlock again that old Donaldson that won the MVP about, it was it 2016, I believe it was? I'll, I'll just double check that because my memory is not with it right now. But they were they were really hoping that Donaldson could make an impact with the bat as well. And if you think that's not the case, then you're just lying to yourself. The Yankees were really hoping that Donaldson could bring that offensive spark to the team as well, play the good defense that, yes, I'll admit he has played, and also to be that sort of villainous presence for the Yankees, which I'm all for. But I need a villain that could actually back up their talk. (laughs) And at least at the plate right now, Donaldson ain't cutting it. He may have had the one hit the Yankees had today, but... This guy's swings have just been beyond ugly, and he just hasn't been doing nearly enough at the plate, especially for the money he's making, guys. Need I remind you that he's making well over $20 million this year? $20 million at his age with the production he's putting up or lack thereof? It's just, it's it's tough to continue to watch. And I, I just, I don't really understand what the Donaldson love affair is. I, I really, I don't understand it. Um, yeah, 2015, actually says here, Donaldson won in 15. I knew it was either 15 or 16, but regardless, the Yankees were hoping to at least even unlock a fraction of that old Donaldson. They just haven't gotten that. Even last year, he had a pretty decent season last year, but he, it's just not the case this year. It's not carrying over. It's not. It's not carrying over. 
So you got guys like him, you got guys like Gallo, especially for the outfield when it comes to that. And and that's why some people, with in the case of others like Gallo, who also continues to be dreadful, just ended a, an 0 for 26, I think it was, yesterday with a base hit. And I think he's like 4 for his last 51 or 2. Just just continue dreadful numbers the entire time he's been on the Yankees. It just doesn't end. He has the stretches here and there where he hits a few home runs in like the matter of a couple of days. But then he goes right back to where he was before and continues to be a dread. And him having a good glove is not nearly enough to make up for the rest of the negatives. The guy's just been bad. There's no stat you could dig up offensively whatsoever to back up this guy anymore. And I don't like getting on him. I don't like negatively getting on any other Yankee players, especially since this team is so great and historic. I could not be happier with this team, guys. Don't misunderstand me. Really. I may be taking a bit of a negative stance to start the episode today here on guys like Donaldson and Gallo, but do not misunderstand me. I freaking love this Yankee team, okay? But the fact of the matter is, and people need to remember this when they do tend to get on the Yankees a bit more than they should, is that no team, no matter how good they are, is perfect. There are flaws. And you're allowed to talk about those flaws amidst loving the team like I do. You're allowed to do that. Especially on days where the team has, inevitably, an ugly game. Because, again, another thing that even the most perfect teams have are ugly games. Like today. Today was a lousy game. But, you know, brush it off. Come back on Tuesday against Pittsburgh. But there's nothing you could do to to defend Gallo anymore. And it's gotten to such a point where it's got people talking about what the Yankees could do as far as finding a solution for the outfield. Which happens to be what my social media question is based around today. It's actually a poll. We'll get to that later at the end of the show as usual. But the Yankees only really need a couple of improvements because, again, the rest of the team is really... it is They are what they are. They've become the comeback kids, like we've seen even more this week with more comeback victories. I mean, this team, after today, since they didn't come back from today's deficit, they nearly did at the end against Emmanuel Classe, one of the best closers in baseball, but to no avail. But... They have shown even more comeback victories. I think their their record when trailing in games is now after today 25 and 21, which is crazy good. Because usually amidst trailing, your record probably shouldn't be above 500, but the Yankees are like 25 and 21, which is really good. And they had more comeback wins this past week. Because it's all they do. <laughs> When was the last time the Yankees had like a definitive lead and took charge in a game from the very beginning all the way to the very end? Hasn't happened much this year. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously a lot of wins have happened this year. They rarely lose, and even when they do lose, they make it very interesting like they did again today in the ninth inning. But my point is the comeback wins, I mean, while they're stressful, but they're also very fun to see how magical this team continues to be and how they just never give up, how resilient they are. But you do still have your problems mixed in there with guys like Josh Donaldson, Joey Gallo, just who have been, especially in Gallo's case, non-factors at the plate. I mean, it's come to a point where you really come to appreciate even more so, on top of just because of what he's done in such a little amount of at-bats, but you come to appreciate someone who they got for little to nothing, and Matt Carpenter, who really hasn't done much in years, and the Yankees just brought him on, hoping that any semblance of the old Matt Carpenter would come back. And here he is inside of 42 at-bats, having like seven or eight home runs already. Hitting a couple more yesterday. 
He's been unbelievable. And then you see guys like Gallo ran out there every day and Donaldson ran out there every day. Not only every day with Donaldson, but batting as high up as third in the order sometimes, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. If you're going to bat him, he should be like seventh. And then you see guys like Carpenter not really getting many opportunities at all. But even though they don't, when they do, they still come up and do what Carpenter does, which makes him even more impressive than he already is. Because the guy rarely ever gets any at-bats. And yes, he did strike out today. Still put up a great at-bat. Not going to get a home run every single time he's up. You got to be more than impressed with what he's already done. Can't get hung up on a strikeout today. The guy's been friggin' fantastic. But you see guys like that constantly run out, and then you see guys like Carpenter sitting on the bench when they've probably earned getting out there a bit more often. (laughs) But I realize it's tough because, again, Donaldson is making over $20 million, which is turning out to be a big, colossal waste. And also you got guys like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa out there who people are like, oh, you know, the team's great, so they could could stand if he's just a mediocre stopgap, which is what he was meant to be. And yeah, I get it, but the guy's still been a non-factor. Really does little to nothing with the bat. He tends to botch so many routine plays in the field. He'll make terrific plays like he was doing that one day in Houston a few days ago on Thursday. He'll look like a, like a gold glover, like he was at third base in the shortened season. And then days like today, which we've seen so often, he'll just botch the most routine of throws that he has all the time in the world to make. He's very confusing, and a lot of the time he's just irritating. He's just proven not to be very good. I mean, I don't want to keep bringing it up, but before the season started, when that trade with Minnesota was announced, I mean, I was over here saying that I wasn't too big a fan of it. I mean, I'd say we'll see what happens. I was basically just happy to get rid of Gary, but Donaldson, has, while he's played good defense overall, just has been very underwhelming. And Isaiah Kiner-Falefa's been underwhelming. He'll make his plays at shortstop, yeah, but I would hope so, considering how he was advertised defensively. I looked up his numbers before this season. His OAA wasn't great. He had a pretty good DRS. His DRS this year is not good, particularly compared to prior seasons. It's around average at best. And he made most of his success, more often than not, in the shortened season at third base, which is where he won his gold glove. And I mentioned things like this, and people called me a negative Nancy. Well, (laughs) what are we seeing? I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong, and I am wrong plenty of the time, like everybody is, whether they want to admit it or not. But I'm looking pretty right with this. Just saying. (laughs) I don't want to be right with that. But the fact of the matter is, I think we need just a little bit more production out of IKF. I'm not expecting to be like a god tier. I'm not. That's not what I'm expecting out of the guy. Was never a realistic expectation if you had that. But I need a little bit more out of him, and I need more out of Donaldson specifically at the plate. I do. I do, because nowadays I tend to miss Gio Urshela quite a bit. And while he wasn't God-tier, didn't have the best of 2021 seasons, miss the guy some days. I do. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't. But listen, all that crap aside, talking about the couple of people on the team who who I feel negative about usually, do not get me wrong, guys. I am still so thrilled with this team. Like I said before, still the best team in baseball, still a godly run differential, still leading so many categories offensively or being top two in that, still no signs of being stopped, still won the series this past weekend, still the comeback kids having an over 500 record in games that they're trailing in. So I am still more than happy with the New York Yankees. As a matter of fact, I I couldn't be happier with them. 
I mean, today was only their 22nd loss, guys. It's July 3rd. Tomorrow's the 4th of July. And very strangely, they have off tomorrow on the 4th of July. Very weird feeling. But, I mean, they need a day off eventually because if you don't count the rain out on Friday, they've had this stretch of 20 consecutive games. The guys need a day off. And a lot of people said that may have been why today was a lousy game. They might just be tired. It's the last game of the series. They had already won the series already. And a lot of traveling and all that. I get it. Whatever. That's why I said, you know, they still won the series. Brush it off. Come back against Pittsburgh. But they just finished another long stretch in which they had no no legit days off like they have tomorrow. And they, they just they might need a little bit of a breather. It's whatever. The Guardians aren't an awful team. So if you had to lose a game to one team on the road, then it's them, I guess. Whatever. Still took the series. I'm very happy with the Yankees. They're pitching... It's still fantastic. It's it's unfortunate Montgomery had to take the L for today when five innings only allowed the one run. And J.P. Sears came in after him, who continues to be great through two and two-thirds innings. He did allow a run, but that was because that run came home on an RBI single by Franmil Reyes. And Albert Abreu was on the mound for that, but the runner on base was Sears' responsibility. So he got charged his first run allowed in the year. And I think he went about 14 and two-thirds or about 15 innings scoreless. Sears up until this point, so the one run he did allow only put his ERA up to point fifty nine because <laughs> he had been that good. But I still could not be happier with this team, guys. They swept the A's earlier in the week. Rough game in Houston. Yeah, they still only lost by a run, but it's just the fact of how it continues to sort of be what I said a week ago. How the Yankees don't seem to have a good team problem because I've tried harder than anybody to defeat that false narrative that the Yankees have trouble against good teams because it's just not true. The hypothesis that I put out there that many people agree with me on, and I'm glad because it seems to be the truth, is just that the Yankees seem to have a Houston Astros problem. And unfortunately, in Houston on Thursday, that basically continued because the Bats did little to nothing against the Astros again. They seem to have a really tough time at Minute Maid Park off of Luis Garcia, who went five and a third innings, only allowing one run. And then the bullpen after that, Stanek, Neris, Montero, and then Presley to end the game, getting his 17th save in the ninth inning. Just didn't go very well. <laughs> the only run that scored in the day for the Yankees was in the top of the sixth when Rizzo went deep off of Garcia before he was taken out of the game. And Luis Severino pitched six innings of two-run ball in that game. Did a great job, but since two runs is all they needed, the Yankees only scored one run. He unfortunately took the L on the day. So, pitching is held up. Pitching's still been fine. It's just the bats, they have those days. They still may be leading or being top two in the vast majority of offensive categories. They still inevitably have their days, as all really effective teams do. It's inevitable. It happens. It's annoying when it happens, and it's infuriating even in some cases when today's like games like today, where the Yankees only get one hit on the whole afternoon. It's frustrating, but it happens. But the Yankees, yeah, they, they definitely seem to still have an Astros problem. I'm not worried about it long term because, to be honest with you, every single game against the Astros, they're all close. Even this game, they only lost 2-1. to one. They were neck and neck. Other than the two runs that the Astros scored in the bottom of the third inning on a two-run double by Alex Bregman and the solo shot that Rizzo hit in the sixth inning. 
both teams are kept down. So you want to note the key that I've noticed is against the Astros. The key against them, from what I've seen in the five games they've played against each other so far, I believe they have two or three left against them. I, I can't remember. I know they have a doubleheader coming up because they're making up the games in Minute Maid Park from the games that were missed because the first game of the first week rather of the season was postponed because of the disagreements with the with the CBA. Which is why this past Thursday's game was just there, like in the middle of nowhere. Because <laughs> that was part of making up those games from the first week that were postponed because of the CBA disagreements. So, <laughs> But from the five games I've seen so far, the one main takeaway that I've seen is that Yankee pitching, for the vast majority of the time, actually has done a very nice job holding the Astros down this year. They've done a very nice job holding down the Astros bats. Really, the main day where they didn't was the first game at Yankee Stadium where it was just three-run homer galore for both sides that day. <laughs> so that's about it. Even then, it was six runs scored by the Astros, two three-run homers, so just two mistakes. Other than that, the Yankee pitching has done a very nice job holding down the Astros bats. You can't deny that. The trouble the Yankees have had is hitting against the Astros. It was true in those games except for the miracles at Yankee Stadium, the two very fun walk-off wins at Yankee Stadium. But the other two, they struggled against Verlander, which is a frequent thing for all of teams because Verlander is just cracked. There's nothing you could do about that except just try your best. (laughs) And even the next game on Saturday, when they got combined no-hit in a game started by Christian Javier, finished off by the Astros' bullpen, And also, again, in this game at Minute Maid Park this past Thursday, the theme has all been the same. The Yankees are struggling to hit against their pitching. This is something where adjustments could be made by watching a lot of film, getting more scouting reports, so on and so forth, just paying more attention, and really just getting a grasp of their pitching staff. If the Yankees figure out their pitching, I think it's over for Houston. That's what they got to do. They've got to hit Houston pitching because the Yankee pitching against them is doing their job. They've done their job. The Yankees have just got to hit better against them. That's the key here. That's what I've noticed in these five games. We'll see what happens in the remainder of the games against the Astros for this year before they probably inevitably run into each other in October because I've said it many a times, the path to the World Series Houston is going to inevitably be on that path. Unless by miracle they don't, they wouldn't see each other until later on in the, in the bracket and for some reason another team happens to beat them before they get to the Yankees if the Yankees do get that far. That would be a miracle <laughs> because the Yankees, you can't deny it, like I've said, have failed to beat the Astros when it matters in October. But I do believe that for now and for going forward, If they do run into each other in October, which I'd be shocked if they don't, because again, I think we can all admit that the path to the World Series, Houston is a part of it. This year is different than any other for the Yankees, and this could be the time that they could finally overcome them. What they need to do is just learn to hit their pitching. That's what they have to do here. They've got to get better against their pitching. Our pitching is holding them down. Our bats just need to come alive against them. More so than they have. 
And there are plenty of times where the Yankees have blown scoring chances against them. That's a part of coming, coming alive against them. You got to fix that. Got to turn it around. Because the reason people flip out when they underperform or they don't do well against the Astros, and the meanwhile they're doing great against everybody else no matter who they're playing, bad team, good team, but the reason people flip out and get uneasy about Houston is because of the past. Obviously the rivalry having to do with the cheating. And then just, of course, in general, the plain fact that whether they're cheating or not, the Astros, especially when it matters, have simply just gotten the better of the Yankees over the years. That's an undeniable fact. You can hate the Astros as much as you want. I'm not a fan of them either. (laughs) I may be more or less over 2017 at this point, but I still don't like the Astros. It's fun being rivals with them. Not a fan of the Astros, but you got to be willing to admit that, especially when it matters, this team has gotten the better of the New York Yankees. It's a fact. And that drives people nuts, especially with the inevitable past that a lot of people are still very upset about, bent out of shape about. So that's why, even amidst a historical season, you see people going nuts when they can't handle Houston because it's a problem, and people realize that they're going to be an obstacle, most likely, on the Yankees' way or path or just hopes for the World Series this year. Houston's going to be there. So when the Yankees just come up short against them, it gets people nervous for the future. I acknowledge that, listen, I mean, the two wins against them may have been miracles for some people, but listen, a win's a win. Walk-offs happen. People blow games. It happens. (laughs) Offenses come to life when they're down to the last out of the game. That's part of baseball. So I'm not lessening those wins. But people have been saying, you know, those two wins were by, you know, quote-unquote miracle, and the Astros have been in control of most games, and they wouldn't necessarily be wrong. But I say, listen, wins are wins. All of the games are very close, and out of five games, it's three to two, and every game is close. The two teams are nearly as evenly matched as it can get as far as I'm concerned. If the Yankees just figure out how to hit their pitching, you will see this very much go in the Yankees' favor. That is my ultimate take on the whole thing. And this weekend against the Guardians, it was really fun, except for today. Today was lousy, like I've well established by now. And we'll go more in depth on these games and recap, as always. But they had a doubleheader yesterday, which inevitably taxed the bullpen, as it does for most people on a doubleheader day. Unless they get fortunate and both of their starters go friggin' eight or nine innings. But (laughs) yesterday was really fun with the doubleheader. And... I mean, especially game one when they won 13-4. to four. A lot of fun there. And then game two was a lot of fun as well, winning 6-1. to one. And then today's game was what it was. So, all in all, even if it was a frustrating but close game in Houston this past Thursday, and today was a lousy game, you know, they still won the series this weekend. And they'll see the Astros again. And they still had a lot of wins this past week. So, you know what? This season continues to be historic. The Yankees continue to have an ungodly lead in the AL East and throughout the entire sport, quite frankly. Take the day off tomorrow, come back on Tuesday. Overall, still a pretty solid week full of comebacks and exciting moments more so. Things are all good. Like I said, you could harmlessly point out the flaws, players you're not happy with, players that you believe should be doing more. You could point out improvements you feel that this Yankee team could make to be even better than they already are. And also still acknowledge the remarkably historic and fun, just fun season that they've had. And it would all be valid. 
And that's why I guess what I'm doing here and all the weeks in the past and probably all the weeks in the future for the remainder of the season, which again, I cannot believe is already halfway over. Same thing every year, and I still don't get any more used to it. Because again, especially when you're having the season the Yankees are having, when you're having as much fun as we are all having, inevitably it's going to go even faster than it already tends to do. Now, (laughs) let's get to some Yankees news because there are a couple of things to report because there tends to be news every single week. So there's some injury news, there's some roster news from this past week, I'll give it now. Couple of things worth reporting: some some injury returns, some injury updates, some roster updates, and then after that, we'll get to recapping this past week, which I generally just glossed over just before. But we'll get more in depth on them, the plays of the games, and everything like that, pitching performances, so on and so forth. But from this past week, quite a few things happen as far as roster moves and injury updates. First off, a return took place, like we spoke about in weeks past. That was imminent. We've spoken about guys like Chapman, Herman, Luizaga, guys like this on their way back. One of them made a return, and unfortunately a disastrous one at that that I think a lot of us saw coming. But it's pretty unfortunate to see nonetheless because I don't like to see any Yankee struggle. I don't wish for any Yankee to struggle. I don't wish bad on any on any Yankee. But if you continue to be an unmitigated disaster, you best believe I'm going to get on you a bit. <laughs> as any fan has a right to be. But officially on Friday, he was supposed to return a day or two prior to this, but I guess they held him off a little bit. Aroldis Chapman returned from the injured list from his tendonitis problems. So he is the first of the three, the three being himself, Herman and Luizaga, to return. It seems like the next closest seems to be Domingo Herman with Luizaga to follow because Herman is in the middle of a rehab assignment right now, and I think Luizaga is still just throwing. But Chapman did return on Friday, and in exchange for that, they did put Miguel Castro on the paternity list. But Chapman's back. He, of course, came back in yesterday's game. He was a complete out-of-control disaster, yet again, like he has been so often this year. A lot of people want to jump up and defend him because they're saying, oh, he doesn't have any blown saves this year. His ERA isn't that high. Well, crept a little higher after yesterday. And he doesn't have any blown saves because a lot of the times... He would get yanked before things got the chance to get even more out of control than they already seemed to be getting. Fortunately, one game comes to mind earlier in the season where he loaded the bases with nobody out. Then Michael King came in out of the bullpen and got out of that ungodly jam unscathed. Not allowing a single run in a bases loaded and no one out jam. That's been happening for Chapman a lot lately. Hence has played a part in him not having any blown saves. So that is not a valid defense for me. The guy has been more often than not A disaster this year. That's just the facts. Comes back again yesterday, had no fastball working whatsoever, and we all know what happens when Chapman doesn't have a fastball working. He's got to rely more on his secondary stuff, his slider, and occasionally even his splitter. I think he threw his splitter a couple of times yesterday. It was a disaster as well as the fastball, and the slider, he was hanging a couple of them, got some over for strikes, but he couldn't locate all over the place yet again. First time pitching in a while, yes, Some people are mentioning, yeah, it could be a factor of him being rusty. Normally, I'd agree with that and be more patient. But given how Chapman has been more often than not, much more often than not this year, it's tough to put too much on the fact that, oh, it's just because he hasn't pitched in a while and it's because it's rust. We've seen this largely from Chapman 
when he hasn't been gone for a while. So is it that? Is it rust? Or is it just that he doesn't really have much anymore? Got to ask yourself that question. Kind of leaning towards the latter because it really seems like his fastball has taken a massive hit this year. Doesn't have the velo on it that he used to. Which, of course, that the kind of velo he had before in his fastball, that can't last your whole career. I'm understanding of that. <laughs> but doesn't have the velo he had. Throws 96, 97 a lot of the time with it. Doesn't have the location at all. Just seems to have lost all sort of control and command with it. So he has to over-rely on his secondary stuff. And his secondary stuff just isn't that good. His slider tends to hang a vast majority of the time or just miss spectacularly, as does his splitter. His splitter, which he just doesn't even tend to throw very often anymore. I don't know. It's just sometimes it feels like he forgets it exists. I don't know. It's weird. But the point is, came back again yesterday in a low leverage situation with a monstrous lead against the Guardians, and he just, he had nothing. Had nothing. Loaded the bases with no one out, and they had to yank him out of the game before he actually managed to make a 10-2 to game at the time pretty, pretty close. So, not a good return for him. I was uneasy the second they announced his return, and yesterday proved it right. I hope to be proved wrong going forward and that he somehow fixes it. They're going to have to keep finding situations to put him in during, because, you know, if he's never out there, he's never going to figure it out. But how many chances do you give the guy to before he just completely starts blowing games up like he's been on the path to doing for so many? And we're very fortunate that he hasn't blown up more games. Very fortunate. Because fortunately, they tend to have had a, a quicker hook with him this year than in the past. Because they have to. The guy's been bad. <laughs> there's, no, there's no getting around it. So, regardless, Chapman's back. And Duhar was also appointed the 27th man for the doubleheader yesterday. He was obviously returned to the minors right afterwards. Him coming up, got a lot of discussion stirring again as to why he's not given a chance over Gallo. I understand people saying that. But I also understand the people saying, well, you know, you see Andujar in, in little spurts here and there. And if he was if he was regular, then his defense would be exposed again. Even though he played a sound left field when he was up here for a while a couple of months ago. He did. Played a sound left field. But I do agree with the people also saying that over time it would probably start to reveal that he just isn't good defensively again. Because he has struggled defensively. The guy has not had a definitive position over the years. And that eventually his bat would probably taper off a bit too. The guy can hit. Miguel Andujar can hit. But he himself has fallen into some pretty ugly slumps as well. And I, I kind of do agree with that as well. Worse than Joey Gallo? Probably not. <laughs> because, like I said, Andujar could hit. But my point is, is that he wouldn't always be as spectacular as you do see him in with these small spurts that you tend to see him in. Has he earned a chance? Especially with the bat? Probably. Would he do more with the bat than Gallo? Probably. <laughs> because you can't get much worse than Gallo. Especially if you take away those little spurts that he does have where he hits a few home runs in a few days. Without those, and he is legit a zero, the definition of it, at the plate. But Gallo does have a better glove than Miguel Andujar does. More well-established glove. So that's where Gallo probably has the edge over him. So it just got a lot of people talking I myself like Andujar. I do. I like him. I think he can hit well. But I do think that his production wouldn't always be what you see in those little spurts. So I wouldn't get too excited about him. I'd rather just the Yankees look elsewhere. 
to get another outfielder in place of Gallo, which we're going to talk about later on again in the social media segment. That's what the social media segment is based around today. With the Major League Baseball trade deadline, by the way, now being less than a month away. But nonetheless, despite the discussion, Andujar was called up for the doubleheader, immediately sent right back down. Also after the doubleheader yesterday, Ron Marinaccio, he did pitch yesterday. But it was really weird. After the doubleheader, after the first game at least, he was reported out of nowhere to have a dead arm. And he pitched well yesterday. That's the funny thing. He pitched very well. He came in after Chapman started his disaster and only allowed two runs to score by the Guardians on two runs that were Chapman's responsibility anyway, and they were both on ground outs. And overall, Marinaccio has done very well lately. So this... This news, pun intended, really came out of left field. It really did, that he's experiencing a dead arm. And then today, they placed him on the 15-day IL, because the pitching IL is 15 as opposed to the position players, with right shoulder inflammation. So hopefully that's not too long for Marinaccio. He's really been doing well. He's been a nice addition out there. Some days he loses control of his fastball and his changeup, his breaking stuff. But overall, especially... This being the first looks he's getting in the big leagues this year, he's done a very nice job for himself. So, I hope for his sake that this doesn't last too long, and, and for the Yankees' sake as well, because he's been a nice addition out there in the pen. In exchange for putting him on the 15-day IL, the Yankees also recalled, much to my pleasant surprise, J.P. Sears. And it was said they continue to use him for spot starts as sort of a sixth guy for whenever they play a crap ton of consecutive days without a day off like they just got done with yet again, which that part doesn't surprise me, especially because of how great he's been in that role, especially since Luis Heal, who had that role prior, I think it's safe to say, he had that role prior to this, he went down with Tommy John surgery a while back, as we know, so he's no longer able to fill that role, so J.P. Sears in a way has. But the thing I was surprised about, and we did see this instant pop up in today's game where he did very well yet again, was that Aaron Boone also said that they could use him in a long relief or a high leverage role in the bullpen. Which I'm fine with. Don't get me wrong. I'm fine with that. I like Sears. I really like the kid. He's shown a lot of potential here. But it just seemed that they were really determined, at least before. Maybe it's a little different now because things with the bullpen have changed since. But it seemed like they were really determined prior to use him solely as a starter. That they saw him as a starter. I mean, that's what they said for a while, but hey, I like the guy, and I'm personally okay with seeing him at any capacity. And I even had people throughout time ask me, oh, why don't they use him in a bullpen spot or anything like that? And I would say, well, because of what the Yankees said. They, they view him as more of a starter. But now it seems like they have wavered in that sense, and they've, they're more open to using him in a bullpen spot, and they did with him again today, and he did a very nice job. So that's the role that J.P. Sears will be in, at least for now. Basically, anything the Yankees ask of him, and obviously, I would assume if I'm in J.P. Sears' shoes, I would be more than okay to fulfill the role wherever they want me, because <laughs> it's just awesome to be with the big league club, of course. That's the ultimate goal, is it not? <laughs> and when Loisaga and Herman come back, which neither of them are very far from their returns at all, like I've said, they've it was a matter of which would come back first. It seemed like Chapman was, was going to be the first, and he is. But, uh... Neither of them seem very far from their returns now when it comes to Herman and Luizaga, the ones still remaining out, especially Herman. It seems like he's going to be next. But once Herman does come back, since it does seem like he's up next, Sears will probably be sent back down again, or maybe maybe Weber, since Weber's back up too, actually, now that I think about it. So 
We'll see. Anything can happen. But something else that was announced when it comes to the bullpen on the subject of the bullpen. A lot of action happening out there. But something else that was announced just maybe a few hours ago, maybe around like 1 or 2 o'clock earlier today, was that the Yanks traded Banuelos, Manny Banuelos, to the Pirates, who the Yanks are ironically, as I said before, facing in a couple of days. (laughs) Just for cash considerations. So just a little trade. I guess they'd seen all they wanted from him and gave Banuelos a shot after years away, and maybe he could help Pittsburgh out more, get some more opportunities with their bullpen. So maybe it's just a best-case scenario for both sides. And it was nice seeing Banuelos pitch here for a while, but if he's not needed anymore, could get more opportunities and help out Pittsburgh more, and I guess the Yankees' cash considerations is good enough, then so be it. (laughs) Just a little nothing trade. But uh, regardless, that's that with Banuelos. He is now a Pittsburgh Pirate, and obviously we wish... Best of luck to him, at least I do. I have no ill will towards him, and neither should any Yankee fan. He did nicely in his time here, and it was um, it was fun to see him get a shot here. So really, that's all the news that there is for injuries and rosters and the trade that happened earlier today with Banuelos. That's, that's really all. I mean, more can happen and probably will happen this next week. I assume Herman might be back before the week's end, and there'll be more, more updates on Loisica. And uh, if there are any further updates on Marinaccio's progress on coming back, then we'll probably get that. But for now, that's really all that's happened. For the bullpen, a lot of news out there. Chapman back, Weber's out there, and Marinaccio's on the injured list. Just a lot going on. Miguel Castro's on the paternity list for now. But everybody else otherwise is just doing their thing out there, as is the rest of the team. Amidst what was another really solid week of baseball this past week. Which, speaking of... Let's move on to recap, guys. Let's get some a little bit of in-depth details about what happened this past week with another mostly positive week of Yankees baseball. Yapping Yankees time machine. Let's do it. God, I really am a moron, aren't I? <laughs> oh, God. Do these stupid-ass voices... <laughs> Try to be entertaining, okay? Alrighty, so this past week, we already spoke about everything that happened last Sunday, of course, because I've been making it a habit again to do these episodes after each game is done on Sunday. So we spoke about last Sunday's awesome game against the Astros. Another awesome comeback, fun, electrifying victory against them to result in a series split. And the week would resume the very next day when the Oakland A's would come to town. Montgomery would start the first game on Monday, and he would have himself a very confusing start. (laughs) I'll explain why, because his final line may look like crap. Six and two-thirds, six hits, five runs, and six strikeouts. A lot of sixes. But, so that looks like crap, right? Six and two-thirds, five runs, not great at all. But all five of those runs came in the third inning. All of them. On a solo shot by Loriano, a three-run bases-clearing double by Elvis Andrus, and an RBI single by Sheldon Noyes. All five runs, just like that. Boom, 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 boom. Top of the third inning. Other than that, though, Montgomery was locked down. <laughs> he barely allowed anything for the rest of the game. Went six and two-thirds, so nearly seven innings. Only one bad inning, so... A good start outside of the third inning, but the third inning really makes the final line look like crap. And overall, not the best of starts. 
But regardless, you want to talk about all the comeback wins this year and the great record the Yankees have whenever they're in, in deficits in certain games. Like I spoke about in the intro and in so many weeks past, how the Yankees are just so resilient in every game. You could never count them out, no matter how bad they look, in all the innings leading up to said comebacks. This game was another example. Because the Yankees, again, would have another comeback victory in this game. The scoring started off with the Yankees. Bottom of the first, Anthony Rizzo hit a solo shot, made it one to nothing. But then that big third inning for the A's happened. They were trailing five to one. Not really looking too hot. But the Yankees started to make a little bit more noise in the bottom of the fourth. Stanton would hit a solo shot for his 18th of the year. Aaron Judge would get an RBI single to make it 5-3, to three, so they're creeping back a little bit. And right when Stanton hit that home run, I don't know, I had a shift in mentality. I was saying, I feel like the Yankees are going to take this game. I just do. And they would end up doing so going forward. Bottom of the seventh would be the big inning where they would just complete the comeback and not look back after that. John Carlos Stanton, a run came home with him up at the plate when a catcher's interference by Sean Murphy happened, which was just one of two that happened in the inning. You don't see catcher's interferences in general at all. I mean, you do, but it's rare. But two happened in this one inning for Sean Murphy. And those two catcher's interferences ended up being two key components to this Yankee comeback in that inning. The continuation of the rally and just the jump starting of the rally as well. Well, one run came home on it with the bases loaded with Stanton at the plate. Then after that, Josh Donaldson chose to come through. One of very few instances that he has, but nonetheless came through here <laughs> with a big go-ahead two-run double. I'll give it to him. That made it 6-5. to five. My boy, Jose Trevino, two-run double after that to make it 8-5. to five. And then even Marwin Gonzalez getting in on the hit parade. Hit an RBI single of his own to make it 9-5. to Yankee pitching would just have to seal the deal after that, but they would with no problem. Because after Montgomery came on, the only one that did have to pitch after him was Albert Abreu. And he ate up the remaining two and a third inning shutout. And the Yankees would win 9-5 to to open up the series. Another fun comeback victory. The next day on Tuesday for the Yankees, J.P. Sears, who we were just talking about before, would take the hill in a spot start to give the rotation a little bit of a breather amidst, again, another long stretch of games without a day off. And again, he would do a terrific job going five and two-thirds shutout innings. Marinaccio would get an out to finish that sixth inning for Sears. Wande Peralta would get two outs in the seventh, followed by King getting the last out of the seventh and pitching the eighth. All of them shut out. Clay Holmes, in the ninth, a run would come home off of him, but it would not be earned because just like the night prior with Sean Murphy having all those catchers interferences, well, guess what? You'd get a third catchers interference in this series alone. <laughs> but this time, on a very rare mistake defensively made by Jose Trevino. So a run would eventually come home on that. The ninth inning would leave us all sweating because it was a one-run game, but Clay Holmes would still get it done for his 13th save of the year, so the pitching yet again was dominant, and the only runs the Yankees had to score in the day were on an RBI single by Jose Trevino in the first inning and a solo shot, a bomb, by Marwin Gonzalez. Again, those a couple of days this past week, he had himself some nice days at the plate. A solo bomb to make it 2 to nothing. That one run would score, as I mentioned before, in the ninth for the A's. But that would be it. For all the action in Tuesday's game against the A's, the Yankees would win that game 2-1 to one and seek the sweep on Wednesday in the third and final game 
which they would, of course, get. They would end up winning the game 5-3. to three. Tyone started the game. Definitely had himself a rough start. Didn't nearly have his best stuff. He did give up seven hits on the day in just five innings. Allowed three runs, all of them in the top of the first inning on a two-run double by Steven Piscotty and an RBI single by Elvis Andrews. Definitely labored in the rest of his innings. Allowed walks, allowed hits. Just really had a tough struggle getting through it. Two walks, seven hits again, six strikeouts. Only went five innings. He did manage to get the win because he did go the five innings and the offense had his back. So he did end up getting the win on the day. So good for him. The bullpen after him would be locked down. Litke would throw two shutout innings. Miguel Castro had a shutout. Eighth and Clay Holmes would get the save in the ninth. Again, his 14th of the year. And even though they fell down three to nothing, in the top of the first inning, again, the Yankee Bats had his back on two home runs by our beloved behemoths of Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton. In the bottom of the first, Aaron Judge did make it a one-run game on a two-run shot, his 29th home run of the year. 29 home runs. We have just arrived in the month of July, people. This was on June 29th, and he had hit his 29th home run. Not enough can be said about Aaron Judge's season. There's nothing else to say anymore. <laughs> Except to just sit and enjoy it in awe. <laughs> and then John Carlos Stanton put the Yankees not at a tie, not one run ahead, but two runs ahead with a three-run shot in the bottom of the third, his 19th home run of the year. So again, two big home runs by our beloved behemoths. I think that's what I'm going to end up calling them from now on because, I mean, they're humongous. <laughs> and I love them. And I think we all love them. So, beloved behemoths, that's Yapping Yankees trademarked right there, baby. That's all me. <laughs> so that made it 5-3, to three. and again with the bullpen holding things down, and Tyone just managing to get through 5, laboring through 5, the Yankees came away with a 5-3 to three win, and yet another sweep on the year, this time against the A's. So a very nice series against them, awesome stuff. They would move on to Houston on Thursday. We talked about this game pretty in-depth before, so I'm not even really sure how much I have to recap. Luis Severino, like I said before, did go six innings, only allowing two runs, did himself a very nice job. Striking out four, walking two, only giving up three hits. And one of the three hits he gave up was that crucial two-run double to Alex Bregman, which is all the Astros would have to score to win the game because the only run the Yankees got, again, was on a solo shot by Rizzo in the top of the sixth. Other than that solo shot, Yankee offense, again, with nothing to show for other than that one run and five hits, blown a couple of scoring opportunities throughout the game. And the Yankees would end up falling to Houston again, this time in Houston. They're in the midst of having these random, out-of-nowhere, spotty games against the Astros because, again, like I said before, these games against them are the makeups for that first week postponement because of the CBA mess. So, and this is not the last time that this is going to be happening with the Yankees and the Astros. Not nearly, actually. And not even before the end of the month, because if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to check right now. Yeah, it's right after the All-Star break. Right after that. They have, on Thursday the 21st, they have a doubleheader in Houston. Yeah, a 1 o'clock game, 110, and a 640 game on Thursday the 21st. And again, people are saying, oh, a random doubleheader, why? Well, it's because... And why saying the same thing, why a random game on Thursday, just one game in Houston? It's because of that first week of the season that was postponed because of the CBA disaster. So 
that will be happening again. But yes, random game on Thursday. Not a fun one in Houston. Still having a bit of a Houston problem as I preached last week. But again, like I said in the intro earlier, and like I've said so often, I do think that is specifically a Houston Astros problem. And I do think that, like I said earlier, I've observed this in all the games they've had against them so far. All five games very evenly matched most of the games. And just overall matchup-wise in five games being 3-2 to two and all the games being close. The one key that the Yankees need is just unlocking their offense against Houston's pitching. If they do that, it's going to go much better for the Yankees against the Astros. It will, because the Yankee pitching continues to hold their offense down. So that's all they need to do. I truly think overall, while the Yankees do have their flaws that I've had no problem pointing out (laughs) amidst also praising the hell out of my team like they deserve because this is a freaking historic team, but... Despite the Yankees' flaws in the roster, I do think that overall this year, just my honest opinion, I do think overall, roster-wise, the Yankees do have a better roster than Houston this year. Houston has a very good pitching staff. Their starting is mainly where the issue is for their oppositions, because their pitching staff is really good. The bullpen can use some work. The Yankees are even having some trouble getting to them at times, and yes, I know they got to Presley in Game 1 in the series at Yankee Stadium. They did the same thing getting to the pen in the final game at the stadium. I understand. But they still just need to improve against the Astros pitching. They still do have their moments where they struggle against the Astros bullpen, so that's what I mean by that, even though I still think the Astros bullpen can use their improvements. It's mainly against their starting rotation. The Yankees, of course, got completely manhandled by Christian Javier manhandled by Verlander, but he manhandles everybody just about, so can't really say that's specific to the Yankees. Even Luis Garcia did a very nice job against them. The Yankees especially have trouble against their starting rotation. Unlock that difficulty, and Yankees will run away with the games because our pitching is doing their job against them. So basically a final verdict on that is the Yankees continue to have a bit of a Houston problem, not a good team's problem. Still tired of that narrative, really tired of it. So, not necessarily a fun game. Not a necessarily action-packed game in Houston, but the Astros still did come away with the win 2-1, to and we'll see how the Yankees fare against them when they come back post-All-Star break and have that doubleheader there to finish off gameplay against them. At least for the regular season. <laughs> so, because, I mean, we all know that any and all paths, most likely, to the World Series will have to be through Houston at some point for this Yankee team. So... Last games from this past week, as we spoke about earlier, the games against the Guardians in Cleveland. And just like it was for most of the week, (laughs) both of the wins, the Yankees would win the series two out of three after losing today in today's lousy games we spoke a bit about before. But both of the wins that came in yesterday's doubleheader, because Friday they were rained out, so no game on Friday, doubleheader yesterday on Saturday the 2nd. And both of these wins were, again, as has been majorly themed this past week with the only game that the Yankees won with them having taken the lead first and being in control throughout the game was Tuesday against the A's. That was the only game that the Yankees won this past week in which they took the lead first and held it throughout the game. (laughs) And that's been a major theme throughout this entire season because, again, with how amazing the Yankees have been with coming back from deficits, just comeback wins in general, being the best in the sport, that would be the theme again for both of the wins against the Guardians because in both of these games yesterday, 
The Guardians scored first, and the Yankees had to come back. And they came back and actually won in spectacular fashion in both of them, especially in Game 1. So in the first game yesterday... Garrett Cole would get the start. He would go six innings, only allowing two runs on back-to-back home runs by Josh Naylor and Fran Mill Reyes in the bottom of the second inning. Other than that, Garrett pitched a fine game, striking out six, only allowing three hits. He did walk three guys, but still had a had a very quality start. Got the win on the day, of course. And being down two nothing after that. The Yankee offense would immediately come right back in the top of the third. DJ LeMahieu solo shot. Miguel Andujar, who again got called up for the doubleheader alone as a 27th man. RBI single to tie the game at two. Aaron Hicks, two-run single to make it four to two. So he came through. So the Yankees immediately jumped out, and from here on out, they just took care of business. Top of the sixth. Matty Carpenter, my freaking boy. Like I've said, the guy's only had about 42 at-bats, I think it's this year after today's game. He would go deep again here. Two-run shot for his seventh home run of the year. Guy's already almost got 20 RBIs as well. This is with less than 50 at-bats, people. Tell me this guy has not earned an opportunity. I dare you. (laughs) So that made it 6-2 with that shot. Glaber Torres... Got a two-run single of his own, made it 8-2. to two. Top of the seventh, Matt Carpenter, RBI single, 9-2. to two. The guy just doesn't stop coming through. After him, Jose Trevino would ground into a double play. That would drive a run home to make it 10-2. to two. So the Yankees taking control here. Bottom of the seventh, like I mentioned before, Aroldis Chapman in his return being a complete train wreck, allowing the bases to be loaded, nobody out. Two runs did come home on two ground balls that were charged to Chapman since the runners were his responsibility and not Marinaccio's, so that made it 10-4. to And then the Yankees, because why not, added on a few more runs. Top of the eighth on a fielder's choice, Glaber Torres drove home DJ LeMahieu. Top of the ninth, again. <laughs> and the Indians at this point, because of the score, they had a position player on the mound. They had Clement pitching, and... The Yankee Bats just did not seem to care very much. They still wanted to do more damage. So Matt Carpenter, again, again, guys, even if it is a position player, I don't care. Another freaking home run for Matty Carpenter. 12-4 on a solo shot, his eighth home run. 42 at-bats after today, the guy has eight home runs. He is averaging, and even though the sample size is small, I understand, but he is averaging a home run every six or seven at-bats. That's insane. (laughs) I think it's safe to say that Matt Carpenter has rediscovered his swing of old that brought him so much success like it did years ago. I think he's rediscovered it. Just saying I think so. And then right after him, off of Clement as well, Jose Trevino hits a bomb to left field, his seventh of the year. Yankees win a thrilling first game in Cleveland by the score of 13-4. to They would come back in Game 2, and they would come back again. <laughs> On the mound for the Yankees in the second game was Nestor Cortez. Nasty Nestor! This time, he fixed himself up a bit. It looked a little dicey in the first inning because he gave up a solo shot to Ahmed Rosario, of all people, who does not hit home runs. But after that... Nestor was damn near flawless, guys. He didn't allow a run for the rest of his start. So six innings, one run on that solo shot in the first inning, six strikeouts. My boy seems to have bounced back since that start. He's been giving up a lot of home runs lately and had some shaky starts the last few times out. 
but it was good to see him bounce back in this game. Michael King and Wandy Peralta would cover two and two-thirds scoreless after him, and then Clay Holmes would get the final out of the game, earning his 15th save on the season, because since the bases were loaded, it was a save situation for Clay Holmes, so he just got one out, got another save, again his 15th, and that would be the deal with Yankee pitching, but since they fell behind one to nothing, it would have to be another comeback victory for the Yankees. They would have to come back from a deficit yet again. And it was no problem for them, of course, as it hasn't been a problem for most of the year. Anthony Rizzo, solo shot in the top of the fourth, is 22nd of the year, tied the game at one at the time. John Carlos Stanton right after him with a solo shot of his own, his 20th of the year to make it two to one. So the Yankees now have three guys with 20 or more home runs in Judge, Rizzo, and Stanton, with Judge, of course, on the verge of hitting his 30th and still leading the sport by far in home runs this year. So that's that, the deal with home runs between the three of them. It has been a lot of fun. Top of the seventh, Donaldson happened to come through again. RBI double, made it three to one. Again, I will take it because Donaldson coming through does not happen an awful lot this year at all. A throwing error by De Los Santos would make it four to one. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who also does not tend to come through an awful lot this year, he came through here. RBI single made it five to one. Kyle Higashioka with a sack fly made it six to one. And of course, with the bullpen wrapping things up, that would be the final score. Yankees win six to one. And in today's game, as we well established already, the Yankees would lose two to nothing. Really lousy game, getting one hit today. Kind of a, a punt game vibe to this. Because they gave Judge the day off, DJ the day off. They both would pinch hit late in the game. Judge had a beautiful at-bat against Emmanuel Classe in the ninth inning. And for the record, since he's been a little off lately at the plate, I did not have that big of an issue at all with giving Judge the day off. It was good to see him at all. DJ had a deep fly out when he pinch hit for his Isaiah Conner-Falefa in the eighth. And... Other than that, with today's game, that's basically all that happened, guys, because Fran Mill Reyes scored both runs on an RBI single in the eighth inning off of Albert Abreu, run charge to J.P. Sears, and a solo shot off Montgomery in the fourth inning, and Montgomery, other than that solo shot, he did labor a bit at times, but still had himself a fine start. Five innings, one run, eight strikeouts. Did walk three guys, gave up three hits, but you know what? It's still a fine start. ERA down to 319 still, Montgomery. Still a fine job by him. And that's really that. So, although today was a really, really lousy game in a lot of ways, as far as I see it, you can't win them all. The team is going to have days like this, like any great team in history still has. They still won the series, brush it off, take a nice day off tomorrow, enjoy the 4th of July, get back to action on Tuesday. That's as far as I see it. Which, speaking of brushing off and moving on, what is ahead for the rest of the week? Well, tomorrow, like I said, the Yankees have... A very rare day off on the 4th of July. Very unusual, but it's whatever. The team needs a day off. I'll take it. Tuesday, the Yankees start a two-game set with the Pittsburgh Pirates on Tuesday the 5th. That game will be at 7.05 Eastern for the Yankees on the mound that day. It's set to be Jameson Tyone. And on Wednesday, that game will also be at 7.05 in Pittsburgh with Luis Severino taking the mound. And from Thursday... To Sunday. It's about time we're seeing them again. We haven't seen them since the beginning of the year. But the Yankees are headed to Boston to face the Red Sox in a four-game set at Fenway Park. Thursday night's game will be at 7-10 Eastern. Pitchers have not been announced for that yet, and that remains the same for the rest of the games. But Friday the 8th, that game is also at 7-10 Eastern. 
Saturday is at 7.15 Eastern, and next Sunday is at 7.08 Eastern. That'll be an ESPN game. And of course, since this is the next time that we'll be speaking again, I'll probably record next week's episode before this game because it's a night game. I'm not going to wait until after that's over. Usually Yankees and Red Sox games tend to be really long, and if I record at 11, 11.30, or even midnight, <laughs> I'm not going to have the episode out till 4 a.m., so... I'm going to record earlier in the day that day before that game happens. We'll chat it up a bit before that. We'll yap a bit before that. And uh, then the game will happen, and that'll be that. That'll be the story for next Sunday, and that is the story for what is ahead in this next upcoming week. And by next Sunday, we're nearly going to be in the middle of the month already because, listen, that's just that's how time flies, guys. What can I tell you? So that's all for Weekly Recap, boys and girls. And the only other part to do in this show, of course, as usual to end off on, is the social media segment. So this week, like I mentioned before, I've got a poll for you. And on the subject of before, when we were talking earlier in the show about the improvements the Yankees could make to get even better than they already are, (laughs) one of those things that people have spoken about, including myself, is the potential improvement with the outfield because of certain guys like Joseph Gallo. (laughs) So I decided to make that a poll question for this week. And again, I only did Twitter, so we'll stick on, we'll stick with Twitter. And uh, I guess that's what I'll do going forward because I've just gotten in the habit of not putting it on Instagram anymore. Again, I'm sorry to my Instagram interactors over there, but I know for a fact that the vast majority of you are also on Twitter and do still interact on there anyway. So, and I, I of course, inevitably do, you can even check the numbers yourself, have a much bigger following on Twitter than anything else. So I think I'm just going to stick to Twitter from now on, and that's just going to be the story with that. But anyways, the poll question is that we've gotten reports that the Yanks could be on the lookout for an outfielder, which, yes, there have been reports of that in the past week. Who would you like if a trade for them is possible? And the four choices I gave you are Ian Happ, Andrew Benintendi, Brian Reynolds, or a fourth choice, anyone else that you might have in mind, whether it be within the Yankees organization or somebody else externally. And the three names, of course, Ian Happ and Benintendi and Brian Reynolds, of course, these are the three names that most people have brought up. I'll give you my take on it real quick before we get to yours. I think I'll just read the first 10 replies I see in the comments below, and then we'll put a nice bow on today's episode, episode 145. This is a tough choice for me. Obviously, It goes without saying, I just want to put this out there before I give any specific choice of mine. I would be more than fine, more than fine, with any of these three. And any of these three would be a vast improvement (laughs) over Joey Gallo on an overall basis. I understand Gallo has his attributes defensively more so than anything, especially since, you know, not doing anything with a bat. But overall, any of these three guys would be a vast improvement. All of these guys have their positive attributes. They're solid fielders. Ian Happ is a switch hitter, which I love. He has played basically all of his games this year. Hasn't missed time due to injury. 285 batting average, 384 on base percentage, 464 slugging, 848 OPS, 136 OPS plus. Those are killer numbers. Eight home runs, 37 RBIs. 
He has a 2.6 war. You look at the other guys, and they're having themselves some fine seasons too. Andrew Benintendi, 1.7 war. He's batting 306 coming into today, I believe it was. He just puts the bat on the ball, makes things happen. Only three home runs, not a power guy, but 28 RBIs. 373 on base percentage because he lacks in power. The slugging isn't ungodly, but still a 391, 765 OPS, and 118 OPS plus still. He has been in the AL East before, having been a Boston Red Sox, and also just for the sake that it would drive Boston Red Sox fans insane, I'm pretty sure, to see him in the pinstripes. (laughs) So there's that. And inevitably, of course, the AL East has changed, as any division does as time moves along, since he was a Red Sox. But, nonetheless, he's still been in this division before. He's familiar with it. Let alone just being in the AL at all, the American League. Because that is something that neither Ian Happ nor Brian Reynolds can say. Neither of them have American League experience. Andrew Benintendi does, and he still does now, even on his newer team, the Kansas City Royals. He's still in the American League. And Brian Reynolds, of course, I mean, he's been terrific for a couple of years now, still very young, 1.5 war this year, 257 average, so it's iffy, but he he makes up for it. Defense, on-base percentage, 333, slugging 468, which makes up for most of his 801 OPS and still has an OPS plus of 123. And he does have 15 home runs and 32 RBIs. And also, in case you're a fan of the WRC Plus stat, Brian Reynolds and Andrew Benintendi both have WRC Pluses around 120, and Ian Happs is in the 130s at 135, it says here. All of these guys are solid. And of course, also, Brian Reynolds is also a switch hitter like Ian Happ is. Andrew Benintendi is a lefty. So either way, none of these guys are only righty hitters. Two of them are switch, one of them is a lefty. Now, as far as which one is most realistic and which one would be easier or toughest to get, I'd say Brian Reynolds would be the toughest to get because he's still got multiple years of team control left, let alone his talent. Ian Happ is probably middle because of all these stats, if you objectively look at the stats of all three of them, Ian Happ is the best. And he still has one more year of team control than he's an unrestricted free agent in 2024. Andrew Benintendi would probably be the easiest because while he himself is also having a fine season, he is set to be a free agent in the winter. So this would be a rental. So that makes Andrew Benintendi probably the easiest despite the fact that he is having the good season that he is. Which one I would rather? I had a really tough time deciding between Ian Happ and Andrew Benintendi. And that's not to cut off Brian Reynolds at all. It's not. I'd be more than happy with Brian Reynolds, but my objective realization of how difficult it would be to get him because of both of his talent and skill and because of his multiple years of team control left kind of took me out of it a little bit, just the possibility of getting him. So it was really between Ian Happ and Andrew Benintendi in my mind. And between which one would be easiest to get and the seasons they're having, I kind of sided with Benintendi a little bit. But do not sleep on Ian Happ and think that I would have a problem with getting Ian Happ. I would be thrilled. (laughs) Understand me. I would be thrilled to get Ian Happ. The guy's having a terrific season defensively, offensively. He still has a year of team control left, which does drive up his value even more a bit. He's a switch hitter. 
it is it would be awesome to get him. But I do value the fact of how familiar with the American League, specifically the American League East, that Andrew Benintendi is. I love the familiarity there. It would be very funny to watch another former Boston Red Sox don the pinstripes. <laughs> He's a lefty hitter, which I certainly welcome. He puts the bat on the ball, which the Yankees have preached for a long time now. They were looking for a contact hitter. Yet they're continuing to run someone like Joey Gallo out there who is not even slightly willing to make any adjustments to any of his game plans or approaches, which is just not a good kind of guy to have on the team, honestly. I feel bad for the guy. I'm sure he's a great guy. I don't have a problem with Joey Gallo himself, but as a player, another story. But if the Yankees want to live up to those words that they said, wanted a contact hitter, someone who makes things happen, also good defensively, would be the easiest to get in the grand scheme of things because he would be a rental. I think you got to go with Ben Benintendi here. You have to. And I would be thrilled. I'd be thrilled with any of the three, like I said. Any of the three. And I know that without discussing factors like this, that this is all relative. I had someone even reply that this is all relative because it would take entirely different sorts of trades to get any of these three than the others. You know, what you'd have to use to get Benintendi would be much different than Brian Reynolds. One of many reasons being the years of team control. And I understand all of that. But just if you could, just what it would take aside, just hypothetically get any of the three of your choice, who would you go with? That's the question. And I know I did say before that the circumstances with Reynolds and his team control and the unlikeliness of getting him compared to Hap or Benintendi sort of took me out of it. But I also did say I would still love Reynolds. So, I mean, that's I'm trying to be objective with that as well. But with all things considered, I'm either going with Hap or Benintendi, but because of some other edges that Benintendi has, familiarity with the AL and the AL East especially, to add on to it, it'd be tough to turn away from Benintendi. But like I said, I want to keep emphasizing, I would not have a problem with any of the other ones at all. I would have no problem with Hap. I would have no problem with Reynolds at all. <laughs> These would all be great improvements in general, but especially a great improvement over someone like Gallo, who it has just been, it has been proven to such an exhausting point at this point in time that this just is not the fit for him. Wherever he is to go after this, because, I mean, if he continues on this path, there's just no shot he makes it on the Yankees through the entire season. I wish him the best of luck afterwards, no matter what happens. And wherever else he is to go, I'm sure he'll get at least a semblance of what he was in Texas back. I hope he does. But what he's done here, it, it just ain't, it's not working. It ain't working. It's just not, you can't deny it, no matter how much you love the guy. I don't have a problem with Joey Gallo. I want him to succeed. I want everybody on my team to succeed because their success is a team's success. And I'm a Yankee fan, for God's sakes. I don't root for anything bad to happen to anybody. I don't root for anybody to fail. But that doesn't change the fact that for Joey Gallo, it just doesn't work here. It doesn't. And the Yankees need to make a change with that. And it would really help them in the grand scheme of things. It really, really would. All right, let's spend a couple of minutes hearing some of your thoughts on Twitter, and then we'll end today. First reply I see is Rebecca at Peace Now for Life, and she says, I say Benintendi. He's familiar with the AL East, and I think he could be really impactful on this team. That said, I also think Brian Reynolds would be a good choice too, but definitely it's Benintendi for my choice. Yes, it's good points. 
Like I said, I, I know a lot of people would say this, the familiarity with the AL and the AL East, that, that is a factor, even though inevitably over time, players on certain teams and certain divisions change over time, and Benintendi's been on the Royals for a couple of years now, so the AL East isn't exactly what it was a couple of years ago, but it is a factor. Just familiarity with the league overall is more important to me. That's why I mentioned the American League overall as well. He's an American League guy. He's only ever been in the American League. So I definitely think that's a good factor. But yeah, absolutely. Nobody would be disappointed with Brian Reynolds either. Please, nobody. At Jim Alba 23 says, Benintendi is the best overall fit. The left-handed bat slots nicely in the lineup, and he's a good defender. Yeah, he is. I've never really been a big fan of Benintendi's arm in the outfield, but his defense overall is, is nice. It's nice for all of them, for all the options. But yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to only say lefty, though, because yes, while the left-handed hitting thing is a great attribute, especially for the Yankees over the last couple of years, not only do I just want somebody who can hit in general, no matter what side of the plate they bat from, but also you got to remember, Ian Happ and Brian Reynolds are switch hitters, so that could apply to them, too. Oh, wait, by... I am a class A moron. I just realized that this was a poll and I forgot to give you the results of the poll. (laughs) Oh God, having a great day. (laughs) The results of the poll, I forgot to tell you. Tons of people voted as always. Thought I should just give you this so you know where most people lie, at least the ones who voted on this poll. Of the four choices of, again, Hap, Benintendi, Reynolds, and other... Any other options? 37% voted for Benintendi. That was the winning choice. In second place came Brian Reynolds with 31%. And in third place came Ian Happ with 26%. I'm kind of surprised more people didn't vote for Happ. I think people need to do more research on him because he really is fantastic. And only the remaining 6% voted for other. So those are the voting results. Probably should have given you those earlier on. Uh, That's funny. Well, now you know them. At RMNY1976 says, Benintendi, he's a left-handed 300 hitter. His numbers in Yankee Stadium are ridiculous, and he's a rental, so you won't have to give up too much. They can see how it turns out and either re-sign him in the offseason or give Andujar and Floreal a chance for the left-field job in the spring. All good points, man. Yep, left-handed hitter. We establish he has a 300 average, puts the bat on the ball, makes things happen. He does have good numbers at Yankee Stadium. That's another good point. And I did mention, yes, because he's a rental, it wouldn't be as much when team controls factored into it like it would be with Hap, partially, and especially Brian Reynolds, who still has multiple years of team control remaining. So yeah, you are absolutely right about that. And yeah, they could either re-sign him after or give Andujar a Floreal a shot. I mean, Floreal's been down there forever. I'm starting to wonder whether they'll ever give him a shot or not. Starting to lead towards no, to be honest. But (laughs) I don't know. They just don't seem to be really... Really confident in doing that. Mike Nelson, my good friend Mike, at MD Nelly, he says, Benintendi is the most realistic option. Reynolds is going to cost at least one Major League ready pitching prospect plus two more top 10 to 15 prospects, and Hap won't cost much less. Yeah, like I said, if you want to factor that into it, absolutely. Like I said, Reynolds is going to cost an arm and a leg because of his multiple years of team control. Absolutely. So I agree there. And... Yeah, Hap, because of his talent alone, and he does have one more year of team control remaining for him as well. Uh, You're absolutely right. I totally agree. They would both cost a lot of money. And Hap, probably a little less. I mean, he does have his skills to pick up for it, but he does have less team control remaining. 
So probably a little less than Reynolds, but yes, they both cost a lot. And Benintendi of the three would cost the least. He would, despite having a nice season. Next up, we've got at NYY Sportsfan96 saying Benintendi, AL East experience. Yeah, some people, they're really mentioning that. Yeah, it's true. AL and AL East especially experience. Next, we've got at the Danny Velez saying Ian Happ is better than Benintendi. Stats-wise, for the most part, yeah, absolutely he is. I mean, you can't deny that. Numbers are numbers. Uh, But also, yeah, as much as I just made this hypothetical thing, not factoring in things like what it would cost and whatnot, things like that, it would be harder to get Ian Happ. It would be. That's also a fact. But yeah, statistically, while they're both having great seasons, yeah, Ian Happ is is better than Benintendi stats-wise. But both are great options. At Java31 says, Andrew Benintendi, because he already knows those pitchers in the American League. Yep, like we've been saying, gives an edge. He knows the league. At Twitch Emo says, Ian Happ, switch hitter, solid from both sides of the plate, won't cost as much in prospect capital as Reynolds. I mean, yeah, we've established that he would still cost quite a bit because he still does have a year of control left. He's not an unrestricted free agent until 2024. And also just how great he is would help drive up the price trade-wise as well. But yeah, it wouldn't cost as much as Reynolds. It wouldn't. We've we've definitely established that. That would definitely be the case. As great of a choice as any of them would be, yeah. Ian Happ would not... He probably wouldn't cost quite as much as Reynolds because of the team control especially. That's been the case with a lot of speculated trades in the past with youngsters. How, how many years of team control do they have left on top of how good have they been? My good friend James at RebirthChaos09 says, I probably will go with Hap. It seems like he would be the best fit the most with this team. He also played with Rizzo, and I'm sure you can vouch to Cashman about Hap because Gallo cannot be on this roster. Oh yeah, that last part is definitely true <laughs> about Gallo. It's just, listen, nobody's got a, a personal gripe against Gallo. It's just, it's not working here. I'm personally out of words to describe how brutal it's been. It's really, it's tough to watch at this point. It really is. I don't want to pile on the guy, but it's tough to watch. And it just it's not working out. It's simply just not working out. There's not much else to say anymore that hasn't already been said. But yeah, Hap would be a solid fit here. You know, like we've said. Solid defender, switch hitter, great stats, probably the best of the three so far. Even though all three would be a great fit, like we've said a million times. But yeah, he's also played with Rizzo. Yeah. That's a good point. That's something else that nobody else has raised. So there would be somebody on the team that he's familiar with. Let's see. Rob at Laker 477 says, I would prefer Andrew Benintendi due to the fact that he has a lot of American League experience. And as a bonus, it would probably tick off a lot of Red Sox fans. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Probably. It'd be funny. Laura at Laura underscore Icemont. Laura says, Andrew Benintendi. His experience in the American League and American League East gives him the edge over the other guys. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big factor. It's a factor being familiar with the league, and despite the talent of the other guys, neither of them having ever been in the American League, it's a, it's a factor. It is a factor being familiar with one's own league. It definitely is. Let's see here. Let's do a couple more. At K-Swing6 says, it's all relative. What are we giving up in return? Only getting a half season of Benintendi, Hap one year, and Reynolds three more seasons of team control before 
unrestricted free agency in 2024. Should be a major difference in the packages required for each. Oh yeah, this is the comment I was referencing earlier. Yes, I'm aware of this. It's just a hypothetical question, but yes, I also did acknowledge how and why the packages would be different for one over another over another. (laughs) Each one would be different. Yes, and I mentioned all those, but just hypothetical. If you could get any one, which one? Two more. Let's see. At C. Spence Bronx NY says, don't need an outfielder. Certainly not a cheater from the Red Sox. Hmm. So you're okay with Joey Gallo for the rest of the season? And honestly, you're going to make a big deal about having a cheater on the team for the Red Sox, even though the Red Sox didn't do it nearly on the scale of the Astros. And you're going to refuse a very all-around, very talented player in Benintendi because he was a part of the 2018 Red Sox who got caught up in the cheating mess, all the while with the Yankees having Marwin Gonzalez on the team currently, who, by the way, need I remind you, was a member of the 2017 Astros who had the worst cheating scandal of them all. So you're okay with not making a really big improvement in the outfield if the opportunity to get Benintendi presented itself because you don't want a cheater on the team while we already have a cheater on the team from a team that did much worse cheating. (laughs) Do I have it right? Come on, guys. Come on. The whole not wanting the cheater on the team thing kind of went out the window when the Yankees acquired Marvin Gonzalez because Marvin was on that 2017 team for the Astros. It seems like a lot of people are quick to forget that. I think it's time we move past that. That, Like I've said, as much as I will always still have a bad taste in my mouth and anger towards that, I'm not letting it at this point stop me from making what would be a very necessary and very positive improvement to the team. I'm just not letting it happen. That's silly. All right, let's just do one more. I'll do one more and then finish off with the usual final two in my girlfriend and my mom. Spencer at Musician DMD, my friend Spencer, he says, Yeah, Mike, I just looked under my pillow and I found my lost left fielder, Miguel Andujar. <laughs> it's like when I misplaced my glasses. Sometimes they were right in front of me the whole time. Clearly, I don't understand baseball enough to know why we just can't use Andujar. It's <laughs> a funny reply, Spencer. Listen, for the reasons I gave before, I do think that Andujar is good for just a replacement spot here and there for the spurts that we see him in. I'm not going to deny that for the time he has been up here this year in the spurts, he has been up here. He's played a pretty sound left field. He's done well at the bat because he can hit. I'll give him that, but I don't think it would be on as consistent or as amazing a basis if he was up here regularly being the the full-time left fielder. And I do think that although he played a sound left field for some time, that if it lasted for a long time, then it would eventually still be exposed that the guy just doesn't really play the field very well. I would rather, while I wouldn't have the biggest issue, I would still rather have, if not for anything else, just with the bat, I would still rather use Andujar than a Gallo maybe, which I know some people are going to be outraged at me saying that, but while there are others who can do this and do it better than Andujar, Andujar can do one thing that Gallo has had a massive problem doing, in his time with the Yankees, and that's actually making contact with the baseball. 
Would it last at the level that we've seen when he's only up here in spurts? Probably not. It would taper off eventually, I think. I do admit that. But I would rather just look externally for someone who is expressly and exclusively an outfielder. Solid left fielder. Really great with the bat and defense. Like any of these three guys. A Benintendi, a Hap, a Reynolds. Regardless of what it would take to get any of the three specifically. I'd rather just just go with that. So I, I understand. And if you want to use Andujar in the meantime while they look for somebody else, I'd be down for that. But I'd rather just find a more definitive, a safer solution externally rather than go with someone who hasn't necessarily proven themselves as a solid left fielder over the entire course of a regular season, a full regular season, or even something close to that. Because the sample size has not been massive. I, it's not enough to make me believe on a defensive standpoint, while overall I do like Andujar, well, not overall, just as a hitter mainly. But hopefully you get what I'm trying to say. But we'll see what ends up happening, though. Last two, my girlfriend Victoria, at Vic Salimo, she says... I would say Benintendi. He's a very well-rounded player with great attributes offensively and defensively that could contribute to this winning team. He's the most familiar with the American League and the American League East, which I also believe gives him an advantage. Yeah, it does. Always an advantage to knowing your own league, like I said. So another vote for Benintendi. He would, of course, end up winning the poll anyway, so that's not a surprise. Last but not least, as we head towards an hour and a half already, I just always lose track of time. (laughs) When I'm recording this show, just yap on and on and on. <laughs> Last but not least is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero. She says, I'm going to go with Ben Benintendi. While the others could end up batting lefty as well since they're switch hitters, I definitely think that having a lefty in general on the team is a huge benefit. He's been in the American League East before. And, fun fact, did you also know that his last name in Italian means good intention? Yep, that's my choice. <laughs> All right, so yeah, good points you're making, like a lot of others for Ben Benintendi, and also the Italian fun fact at the end, to add on more so to the Italian mindset of the team, with Rizzo, and now Ben Benintendi to be able to join in. Yeah, it does. Ben, Ben, yeah, good. Intentions Intendi, Ben Benintendi, that's, wow. <laughs> My mom knows that I speak a good amount of Italian myself, but I actually never even put that together. That's pretty funny, yeah, good intention. Very fun fact. For all of you out there as well, from my fluent Italian-speaking mother, by the way. little appreciation fun fact for my mom. I'm not fluent. I speak a good amount of the language, but I do have a ceiling to it. My mom is as fluent as anybody, though. And she can even speak the dialect, too, <laughs> to make it even more impressive. So, yeah, it seems like the overall consensus between both how realistic it would be and because of his skill and the season he's having... And what he would bring to the team, seems like Ben Benintendi is the winner here, which I do not have a problem with, as I do not have a problem with any of the other three. So a great overall discussion for what the Yankees could do going forward as far as the outfield is concerned. But, as for episode 145 today, guys, that is all for today's episode, as we are an hour and a half in now. <laughs> Holy crap. Please remember, guys, to follow me on all social medias if you do not already. Mike Scudero NY on Facebook, 
at Mike Scudero on Twitter and Mike Scuds 97 on Instagram. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like below if you're listening on YouTube and leave a review on any of the other three if you're listening there. And if you got the time, please, if there's any Yapping Yankees episode in the past that you may have missed, well, go on and listen to it because episodes 34 up to today's episode 145 are all available on YouTube and every single episode of Yapping Yankees going back to the beginning over three years ago with episode one. They're all available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. But once again, thank you, 3,000, for listening to me yap today here on Yapping Yankees. As always, my friends, I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, July 10th, when I come at you with episode 146 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, hang in there. Be patient. Please stay safe, especially tomorrow on the 4th of July holiday. Look out for your loved ones, and please do, again, have a happy 4th of July. Have a great time no matter what your plans are, but please also be safe. And for your sake and the sakes of all those around you, please do not make any stupid choices with alcohol or fireworks that could get you or, God forbid, even somebody else hurt or even killed. But do enjoy the holiday while being safe. Enjoy yet another upcoming week of iconic and fun Yankees baseball. And I will talk to you next Sunday, the 10th, my friends. Take care.